The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Hey, we've come to the uh, seventh chapter now in the Apostle Paul's just magnificent letter to the, the, the Romans. And the, the great focus of this chapter is, is on the law, okay? And by law, we, we mean um, the, the rules of God, okay? The, the commands, the moral principles and, and precepts and the commands of Scripture, all of that. See, Paul has been hammering home the doctrine of justification and how we are counted as righteous before God, not by our works, not by obeying the law, but rather by grace through faith, by believing in the Lord Jesus. That's how. Right? And as he presses that issue, two questions naturally arise. What about sin? Okay, do we still need to take that seriously? That was, that's been the focus primarily of chapter 6. The second question then has to do with the law. In other words, if we are justified by grace through faith, what now is the point of the law? What's the purpose of the law? What, what, what place does it have in the life of the Christian? And these two questions about sin and law, they are absolutely intertwined. For, for the typical Jewish person, the, the, the view was that the law helped prevent people from sinning. In other words, the, the law brought about righteous living. It brought about righteousness. That was a typical Jewish view. But Paul here has been saying in places like Romans 6.15 that as Christians, we are no longer under the law. We're under grace instead. The question, therefore, is <laughs> what does that mean for the place of the law in the Christian's life? And that's the great theme of Romans chapter 7. And as we work through Romans 7, we're going to see Paul address both legalism and license. Two extremes. Okay, we'll take up legalism in a sense this morning, license next week, and then as we get into the last part of Romans chapter 7, we'll look more squarely at us and how, how do we actually engage in this idea of the law and the gospel. As we work this out, we'll be working out in many ways the doctrine of sanctification. Let's get a good definition of sanctification in front of us this morning. This comes from the 1693 Baptist Catechism, which is built upon the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. So we got a, a definition here that's over three centuries old to rely on. Question 39 of that catechism asks, what is sanctification? Let's read this out loud together. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. It's a work of God's free grace. Do you see that? It's a work that God does in us whereby we experience renewal, change in the whole of our being into the image of God. Enabling us more and more, it says. It's, it's, it's a progressive thing, right? Meaning, in an increasing way, we are putting sin to death and living lives of righteousness, lives of holiness. And so we have justification. That's what Paul's been talking about so much in the letter of Romans. Justification, which is a once and forever thing that happens to us. It happens once when you become a Christian at the point of conversion. 
You were justified. You were counted as right before the Lord. Your sins are forgiven and you are counted as righteous. And you're never unjustified. You belong to God securely through the finished work of Jesus. You've been united together with him securely, Paul has taught us in Romans chapter 5. And you're not justified by your works. You're not justified by keeping the law. You are justified by grace through faith. Sanctification then, unlike justification, is not a once and forever thing. It's an ongoing thing in your life. You are being renewed more and more, the catechism says, into the image of God. It's ongoing. It's progressive in your life. But Paul's whole point in Romans 7, I want to contend, is this. That it is as impossible to be sanctified by the law as it is to be justified by the law. You cannot be justified or sanctified simply by observing the law. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, we just said out loud. That, I contend, is the overarching theme of the whole of Romans 7. And if true, it has implications for the legalist. It has implications for those living licentiously, however they want. It has implications, okay, for us. We begin today looking at verse uh, 1 through 6, verses, the, verses 1 through 6 of Romans 7, looking at the gospel verses legalism. Paul's going to tell the legalists in this passage, those who think that we are sanctified, if not perhaps even justified by the law, he's going to tell them, he's going to tell us, you've died to the law. You've been released from the law. Those are shocking statements to those who care about righteous living, aren't they? So we better understand what he means. And listen, Paul makes pretty efficient work in these six verses. Here's our outline. In verse 1, he lays down a principle. In verse 2 and 3, he illustrates it, drawing from the imagery of marriage. And then in verses 4 through 6, he applies it to us. Principle, illustration, application. That's what we're going to see this morning as we consider the gospel versus legalism. First, the principle. Look at, look at Romans 7. Okay, in verse 1, Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. So Paul is writing to Christians, remember? And specifically here, he's addressing what would be a Jewish objection to the gospel. Remember, there's both Gentile and Jewish believers in the church in Rome. And Paul's addressing a Jewish objection. Here comes the principle. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. You know that, he says. And they did, all right? The, the Jews of Paul's day, including the Jewish Christians, would have known and held that the law was binding on a person for the entirety of their life. Paul's actually made the case earlier in the letter that this isn't just true for the Jewish people. It's true of, of all. It's true of the entire human race. There, there's a sense in which the law of God has been written on the hearts of men and women, all men and women, all of humanity. A general sense of, of right and wrong. And although that sense can be marred and muddled and suppressed, it's there. It's there in such a way that no one has an excuse, he said in Romans chapter 2. We are all therefore born under the law of God and under the law until death. It's binding on us as long as we live, whether we fully realize it or not. 
It has control over us. The law does. It rules over us. We are therefore under it, again, to use the language of Romans 6.15. That's the principle. Now, as 21st century Christians, that's a little hard for us to get our heads around, okay? And we need an illustration. Uh, I don't have to come up with that myself today. Paul gave us one right here. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So Paul says, think about marriage, right? When a man and a woman are married, they are bound together, are they not? Um, the traditional wedding vows even make this explicit, right? What do they say? For, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, until what? Death. Until death do we, do we part, exactly. Now, there are biblical reasons for divorce, okay? There's biblical grounds for divorce. That, that, that's not our point today, okay? The, the, the point is the binding, the, the vowing. For as long as both shall live, a married couple is vowing, we will remain married. We will remain bound together in a covenant relationship. And now, Paul says, if a married woman, okay, this, this works the other way around too, obviously, just in case you're wondering, right? But if a married woman, he says, steps out on her husband and begins living as if married to another man, before her husband is dead, she's called an adulteress. It still works that way today, okay? In, in a marriage, if one spouse goes off and lives you know, as if married to another, that spouse is rightly referred to as an adulteress. It's breaking the marriage vow. It's breaking the law of marriage, as Paul puts it. But, he says, to illustrate the point, if her husband dies, what happens to the marriage? Well, legally, it's over, isn't it? She's free from that law. The, the marriage is is no longer binding. In fact, if she goes at some point in the future and, and lives with another man, marrying even another man, she's not an adulteress. Why? Because the death of her husband has ended the first marriage. When her husband has died, see, she is completely free to marry another. And the law isn't violated. The law isn't disregarded. There's nothing wrong with what she's doing in that scenario, right? And the law, in fact, is honored in that case. How does she pass legitimately from one relationship to the other? Through death. The death of the first relationship, that's how. Now, remember the principle, okay? The, the law, Paul says, is binding. The law of God, the, the rules, the commands and precepts, the, the holy shalls and shall nots of Scripture, it's all binding. We are all under it. It's binding on a person only as long as he lives. Death breaks it. That's the point of the illustration. And up until this point, a faithful Jewish person, okay, a faithful legalist today, would hear all this and say, fine and well, yes and amen. We've got to follow all the rules. We've got to obey it all. We must live righteously and make sure everybody else is living righteously. That's how we stay good with God. And we do it until we die. Paul's about to blow all that up with his application, though. 
Look at verse 4. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. Now, the careful observer senses something here. See, see, Paul actually puts a twist on his metaphor. Did you catch it? He puts a twist in the, in the illustration. It doesn't quite work one-to-one like we expect it to. In verses 2 and 3, the husband is the law, and you're the wife. Are you tracking with that? The husband is the law, and you are the wife in the illustration. It's the husband who dies, and the wife who is then free from the law of marriage because of the husband's death. And so what we expect in the application is for Paul to say in verse 4 is that the law has died. Applying the illustration to us. That's not what he says though, is it? He says, likewise, you also have died. You see the twist? Some want to look at this critically and say, see, you can't trust anything that Paul says. He's all mixed up. He can't even keep a consistent illustration going, right? But I want to argue that that twist is absolutely intentional, absolutely inspired by the Holy Spirit himself when Paul wrote this. It's not a mistake. It's the word of God. See, the point that Paul is making is that death has ended the marriage. In fact, when you think about marriage, it doesn't really matter who dies. If either the husband or the wife die, the marriage is over. Now think about the law. Has it died? Did did Jesus come to abolish the law? No. No. He came to what? To fulfill, to fulfill the law, he says in Matthew 5.17. The law isn't dead. It's alive and well. I delight in the law in my inner being, Paul's going to say before we get out of this chapter. The law is good. If someone uses it lawfully, he writes to Timothy. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus was asked, and he doesn't say, listen, don't, don't worry about that anymore. I'm putting it all to death. No, he says, love the Lord your God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus doesn't abolish the law or ignore the law or put to death the law. He doesn't say, listen, you're not going to need that anymore. He sums it all up and he says, you got to keep it all. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void, he says in Luke 16. And the twist in the illustration as Paul moves from illustration to application, makes this clear. The law hasn't died. You've died to the law. How? Well, keep reading. Through the body of Christ. That's how. Remember from chapter 6, you have been united with Jesus in his death if you belong to him, if you have been justified. It is through the bodily death of the Son of God, right? Jesus Christ himself hanging on that cross at Calvary that you have become dead to the law. How does that work? Well, what have we learned so far in Romans about the law? We've learned that no one can keep it perfectly. All have sinned and fallen short of it. And are, do you remember the word, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through the crucified body of Christ, to use the language here in Romans 7, 4. 
This same body, this same Jesus, whom we're told back in Romans 3, verse 25, God himself put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In other words, when Jesus died, he paid the penalty for our inability to keep the law. He bore our wrath, we say. That's what propitiation means. And when we trust in him by faith, we are justified before God and united to Christ in his death, meaning when Christ died, you died. What is true of him is true of you in him, as one united to him. What's true of him? Well, what's true of him is that he died for sins once for all. That's what's true of him. And therefore, as those united to him, the penalty of your law-breaking has been paid. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. You have died to the penalty of the law. The payment of all law-breaking has been paid, not by you, but by your substitute, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is true of you if you belong to Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have died to the law. You have been delivered from the condemnation of the law. Now, wait just a second, the legalist argues, right? Um, you can't say that. This is what the fundamentalist Christian would say. Wait, 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 wait. If you say that, no one's going to keep the law. Right? You just said that we have to follow the law. If we don't give consequences for, for that. You know, like Jesus, you just said that Jesus didn't abolish it, but if you take away the penalty, you'll take away the obedience. That's precisely where the legalist gets it wrong, Paul says. Keep reading the rest of verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. How? Through the body of Christ. Why? So that... Why? So that you may belong to another. This is where the, the application of the illustration kicks back in. You've died to the law. That relationship is over. You died to it through Jesus, the one who perfectly kept the law. And because there was a death, the relationship has ended, and yet the law has been honored. It's not been broken. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus picked up the tab for all those who would trust in him. You can't even leave the tip. You, therefore, as one united to him, have also died to the law through the body of Christ. Why? So that you may belong to another, be married to another. Who's that exactly? Him who has been raised from the dead is Jesus Christ our Lord. You have not merely been united together with him in his death, that he paid the penalty for your sin, right? You have also been united together with him in his resurrection. And for what purpose? In order that we may bear fruit, it says. The fruit of holiness. The obedience of faith, he says in Romans 1.5. Walking in newness of life. Being renewed to use our definition of sanctification. In the whole man, after the image of God, and enabled more and more to put sin to death in our lives and live in his righteous ways 
in accordance with his law. Now, look what Paul is saying here. He's saying the only way that's possible, the only way it's possible is through Jesus. In fact, his argument in response to a Jewish person of old who wants to be, you know, super duper concerned with law keeping, his response to the the legalist or the fundamentalist today who is overly concerned with rule keeping, so concerned about the morality of Christians and the good behavior of Christians, his response to them is, the sooner you believe the gospel, the better. Why do I say that? Look at verse 5. Paul sets forth here a way of living that he describes as in the flesh. We'll see in a second that that way of living is contrasted with the new way of the Spirit. But he says, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, awakened by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. There's a contrast being made here. Paul's building it. He's saying, it used to be true of you, Christian. It used to be. It used to be true of you. Back before you became a Christian, it used to be true that you were living in the flesh. And when you were living in the flesh, the law actually aroused sinful passions in you. It's like telling a kid you can't eat the marshmallows. What's he going to do? Eat all of them. That's what he's going to do, right? The law aroused your sinful passions. Whether you realized it or not, that's what was going on. And the result was you were bearing fruit for death. Impurity and acts of lawlessness that lead to more lawlessness, he said at the end of chapter 6. You were on, remember the, the moving escalator thingy at the airport, right? You were, you were going somewhere. It was taking you somewhere. Sin was. Transgression was. The violating of the law of God was. But now, underline those two words in your Bible, if you would. But now, beginning of verse 6, but now, these might be the most, these might be the two most important words in chapter 7. But now. This is the contrast. It's more than a contrast. It's describing actually two completely different relationships. Listen up, Christians. It used to be true, right? It used to be that you were under the law, living in the flesh, bearing fruit for death. You were married to the law and under the law. But now, but now, a massive change has taken place. And every true Christian knows something of this to be true. Every true Christian can say with Paul, I once was, but now. But now, you are released from the law, he says. Having died to that which held you captive. What was holding you captive? The law. But you've been released from the law. You're no longer under it. It no longer condemns you nor arouses your sinful passions. You've been released from it. How? Having died to it through your union with Christ and his death on the cross. Why? Why? So that we serve as slaves of righteousness, to use language from last week, in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I know it's deep in here today, right? It's deep. 
We've got to stick with it. In case you're missing it, the whole point is to bear fruit. The whole point of the gospel is to free and empower us to glorify God by keeping the law. Living in accordance with his will and his ways. But it doesn't work the way the legalist expects it to. The the legalist expects, believe and obey, and then be saved. That's what the legalist expects. That's how the legalist lives. Always concerned about doing everything just right. Always looking to their life, always looking to their works and record to know, I'm good with God. Believe and obey, see, and then, and then be saved. Listen, if that's how you live your life, you'll always be basing your justification on your sanctification. That's backwards. To look to your sanctification to determine whether or not you're justified is to miss the point of the gospel. You have been justified by believing in Christ. Now we base our sanctification on our justification. What Paul is teaching is not believe and obey and then be saved. He's teaching instead, believe and be saved and then obey. That's how the gospel works. That's how the gospel is different. Listen, that's how the gospel is good news. In fact, he's saying only by believing, only by believing the actual gospel, only by being united to Christ by faith, only through being united with him in his death, can you finally be free from the law and therefore able to pursue keeping it. See, as long as you're under the law, you're not under grace. In that scenario, all of your law keeping is really all about you. All of your efforts at at living a holy life, you're striving and working hard to keep the law. Why? To please God, sure. But ultimately, you're doing it so you don't get what you deserve for not keeping it. It's actually self-centered. Self-centered. It's an entirely self-centered way of living your life. You're not working for God, you're working for yourself. You're working your way to heaven, you think. Trying to keep on the straight and narrow. If I do it all right, I'm in. If I keep it all just right, he'll be pleased. If that's how you're living your life, you're a slave and you don't even realize it. The fruit you're bearing is actually fruit for death. You even believe the gospel. Paul says, that's how you're living your life. Paul says, stop all that. Which is radically ironic, right? I mean, Paul looks at the legalist who is notorious for looking at everyone else and saying, stop it. And he looks at the legalist and he says, you stop it. The only way to bear fruit for God is to move from one relationship to the other. The only way to do that is by the dissolution of the first relationship. And when you trust in Jesus, his death and resurrection, that's exactly what happens. You die to the law through the crucified body of Christ. You're put in a new union. The old marriage between you and the law and you being under the law It's dissolved through death. You're part of a new covenant relationship now. The author of Hebrews, quoting from Jeremiah 31, describes this 
new covenant relationship in this way. He says, for this is the covenant, this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And it will be their God and they shall be my people. Remember also the words of Ezekiel we looked at last week and also in our call to worship today. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. All of this happens when you get remarried. It's the most profound change any human can ever experience. Paul talks of it as going from death to life. Jesus calls it being born again to a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you're a, a new creation. Regeneration is a term that we use. If you were a Christian... You have been given a new relationship and a new heart. The heart of stone, like the stone tablets in the Old Testament, has been removed. And in its place, a heart of flesh, soft, malleable. Malleable by the Holy Spirit who now dwells in you. God has put his laws in your mind and written them on this new heart of yours. His Spirit now dwells in you. The Holy Spirit who causes you, to use the words of Ezekiel, to causes you, friends, causes you to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. This is the new way of the Spirit that Paul's talking about in Romans 7, 6. And the whole point is here, the whole point is here to tell you, this has happened to you, Christian. It has happened to you. You have a new heart. Paul's writing to Christians, remember? He's writing to us. You have a new heart, he says. You have been born again. You are a new creation. God has put his spirit inside of you and he's rewiring your desires now. He's causing you to desire to walk in accordance with his law, to love his law and keeping the law. You're bearing fruit to God now. You're remarried to Christ. And you might be thinking, Boy, I'm not sure if I am. If that's you, ask yourself, do you sense the change? Can you say it all, I once was, but now am? Do you desire to, to be here? <laughs> do you desire to, to worship Jesus, to pray, to sing, to, to glorify him? Even if your relationship has been cold and distant, do you desire for it to be close? Is there an increasing desire in you to, to put sin to death and to walk in the ways of holiness? Can you see and, 
maybe even just in little tiny ways, can, or can others even see in you, because sometimes we're blind to it, little ways that you're growing, that fruit is bearing. Can you say right now, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he is the Lord and Savior of my life. Hmm? If so, you've been given a new heart. You can't say that and mean it without it. If that's true, you've been given a new heart and a new relationship. Listen, you might be a baby in Christ, but you've been born again. You've died to the law through the body of Christ. You've been released from the law. Serve now, Paul says, in the new way of the Spirit. Serve as one who has been set free. As one for whom there is no condemnation. As one whose ticket has been punched, you are heading to glory and nothing is going to stop you. You're married to Christ. United together with him. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that Paul uses the marriage language here. Do you know why? (laughs) There is not a more personal, more intimate more exhaustive and comprehensively involved relationship than the marriage relationship, is there? I'm not aware of one. And that's what you have with Jesus. That's what you have with him. Sometimes we forget our union with him. We forget our new covenant relationship with him and we turn back to the old husband, sometimes just for a little bit, sometimes for a little bit more. You may have come in here this morning thinking, I am such a complete failure. Listen, if you're a Christian and you came in here thinking that way, that's going back. You're not in that relationship anymore, Christian. You mustn't go back. If you're if you're a Christian and you come in and you're like, I'm kind of joyless, I'm kind of actually a miserable Christian, I'm cynical all the time, Right? Always complaining and grumbling. You know the type. You are, some of you are the type, right? And Paul says to you this morning, wake up. You've been remarried. Look upon your new husband through the word. Like see him smile upon you. Come and behold him. See his absolute, unconditional, sacrificial love for you through his word. See the permanency of the relationship that he has secured with you. Not even death is going to separate you. No, and rest in the truth that this isn't by anything that you've done. What has happened to you has only happened to you because of what has happened to him. And how do we grow? How do we grow in sanctification and in holiness? It's, it's the same way as our justification. It's all by faith. It is the moment-by-moment work of walking in the Spirit, serving in the new way of the Spirit, remembering who we are, remembering whose we are, taking captive our thoughts that want to tell us otherwise, crying out in your inability to perfectly obey, trusting in that very moment by faith that you belong to Jesus, that His Spirit is in you. He's given you power. Power to overcome sin. Power to overcome temptation. Remember and relish in the relationship. 
You're not enslaved to obedience. You're free to obey. Empowered to obey. Set free in the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit to glorify God by keeping the law. Living in accordance with his will and his ways. And lastly, if you're here this morning and you don't have that new heart. If you're not in the new relationship yet. If there's no but now for you. Believe and be saved. Believe and be saved. That's the way in. You don't have to work your way in. In fact, you can't. You can't. The only way in is through being united with Jesus by faith. Believe and be saved and then obey from the new heart. Let's pray. Father, empower us now by your Holy Spirit in us, empower us to walk in newness of life, to serve in the new way of the Spirit. Cause us as those who've been released from the law to walk in your statutes and to be careful to obey your rules. Renew us. Renew us completely more and more each day, moment by moment. Sanctify us, Father, by your grace, through your Spirit, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.